Welcome back to the Books Brothers Podcast, where each week we read books and discuss them. Our goal is to become better men by learning from the books we read and being challenged by the conversations we have together. We hope you also get something out of our discussions. The Books Brothers are currently reading through Scarcity Brain by Michael Easter. This is Adam, and I will be leading our discussion today on chapters 3 through 5. These chapters are packed with great information and interesting stories about human behavior. We hope you enjoy listening as much as we enjoy the conversation. As usual, if you have any thoughts on the chapters or our discussion, we would love to hear from you by emailing us at connect at booksbrotherspodcast.com or on Instagram at booksbrotherspodcast. What kind of ads we got? I don't have any. I got. I, I mean, I can make one. Let's hear it. Are you afraid of checking things at your desk when your boss might be lurking around the corner? Does that prevent you from slacking while you're working? Now introducing Boss Button. This button is quickly available at the press of your foot so that it'll bring up some vague spreadsheet or outlook just in case you're looking at uh, sports or fantasy football or using Slack with your buddies. Why live in fear when you can press the boss button? Do, 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 do. Boss button. Welcome back to the Books Brothers podcast. This week, we're going to go through chapters three through five in Scarcity Brain. In chapter three, where the scarcity loop lives, Michael talks about how the scarcity loop is being utilized in many other areas of our lives. The idea of an opportunity with unpredictable rewards leading to quick repeatability is everywhere in a modern society. He provides examples of this loop in social media, emails, shopping, personal finance, mobile gaming, TV, health, dating, video games, our work, and of course, the news. He acknowledges the benefits of, of getting hooked on some of these platforms, including meeting new friends, the joy we can experience from an addictive game, and the spread of news from our marginalized communities. On the other hand, corporations and political groups know that they can utilize this loop to get the attention of the consumer. This has led to a recent call by some individuals to make technology less engaging or addictive. Is that what we really want, though? I know that we talked about this some last week, but did any of you any of the examples that he provided in this section stick out to you all? And what is your thoughts on the dilemma that he brings up about basically bringing forth the idea of regulating technology? And you know, he uses like that phrase, like making it less engaging or essentially making technology more boring so people don't get hooked on it. So yeah, first off, though, any any of those examples that he gave stick out? Yeah, I mean, I think we we've talked about it even in our last book, but. The whole material mask back in Mask of Masculinity about just personal finances definitely was a, a moment of getting hooked. Just that green or red ticker, you know, watching the charts go up, watching the charts change every second. You don't know, you know, what it's going to yeah. be within the next minute. And so it's it's very hooking because of the opportunity, but also um, the unpredictability and the potential for it to to change. But couple of the things that I think I related to the most, you know, in a small level, when I'm at work, I have like multiple browsers up and one of the browsers is Slack, which we are using Slack to communicate. And there's like a red update, uh, like a red circle that pops up there when there's a notification that I haven't read. So I find myself 
multiple times throughout the day looking for that red button because I don't know what one of you guys have said. I don't want to leave it out there lingering for you know action for me to do. So I'm constantly looking at it. So that's one one way that I, I would say that I can get caught in the loop. But another one, you know, he talks about Tinder and online dating. Uh, my wife and I actually met because of Hinge online dating profile. But yeah, I mean, just relating to the fact that be, behind each swipe, like you don't know who's next or yeah. what opportunity awaits with this person or that person. And so I found myself getting caught in that loop because I was so focused on trying to find my wife. And when she popped up on my screen, I thought she was spam or wasn't real. And then when she finally messaged me back like a week later, I was like, oh my gosh, this person is real or maybe it could be real yeah. uh, when I got to meet her in person. It wasn't some dude, everybody. <laughs> yeah, it, it was actually dude. his wife. I mean, yeah. there's other times where it was a dude, right? Yeah, but Probably. I could just see how, uh, no, no, never. Dude. But I could see how uh, hooked it is because, yeah, they, they try to lure you in with, you can only, you know, swipe so much or yeah. connect with so many people. Or uh, if you accidentally swipe the wrong way, you can get it back, but you only got so many of those during a day. It's, huh. it's interesting. So it's not really something. So you know, myself and Thomas, both of us, and uh, and and Garrett for that matter. I think we all started dating our now wives before dating apps were a thing. But so I'm I'm curious about Rob, but I hadn't really thought about it until like this this reading. I mean, I'd imagine there's times where you're like swiping for an hour, like two hours. Like, is that a thing? Like, you know, where you're on Hinge, but like swiping right or left. For a while, or you wouldn't say swipes, that right? you're necessarily swiping for an hour straight, but I would say cumulatively during the day. I mean, you could find yourself on the app for an hour or more, for sure. Yeah, and I think I think what's tough about that too is just the idea. You met Marianne, and obviously you have a very happy marriage, and it's obviously like super enticing, and so it's like the reward is large, right? You could meet your spouse. Um, yeah, you know, you could have a good, meaningful, like you know, relationship out of this, and so yeah, I definitely like reading that. I was like, yeah, I could see how one would sink tons of time into this, kind of mindlessly. The one that really stuck out to me was um, that YouTube's autoplay algorithms lead us into successively more extreme and polarizing videos, mm. and. I think I would have, I don't know, I think I would have guessed that, but I think it's also like they're doing it because they know if people like stay in, in on their platform longer, but it's also like, that is the problem with so many societal things is that you see these polarizing things and you think that represents a large portion of the population and it makes you be extremely passionate for or against things and hate things. And I think hearing that, that that's like the algorithm or they're just like, they're literally trying to get you on the on their website longer, but knowing like the emotional response that it causes in people, it's sad. Yeah. I'm a big YouTube user, even though I don't always want to be, I do enjoy YouTube. So I've noticed that as the, definitely just from the stuff that gets recommended. Yeah. Uh, I would say honestly, news is a big one that he used as an example that I, I feel like generationally, maybe our parents' generation sees news differently than we do. 
Like I just see that is this 24 seven stream of entertainment. Whereas yeah. like, I, I don't even like really pay attention to much of it anymore because I just think it's kind of a just cheap entertainment. You know, it's just, let's see what we can throw out there and say for 24 hours a day. That'll get people's attention yeah. is what it feels like versus yeah. maybe like our parents grew up with the news actually providing some sort of a value rather than just like, let's say whatever we have to say to get people to watch us all day. And, uh, so I feel like there is kind of like an interesting split among the generations as it pertains to who sees news as purely entertainment versus something you might be able to get some good information out of. And obviously I'm painting with a broad brush, but I'm talking about like the big news companies that started yeah. doing the 24 seven news cycles, you know? Well, and I, as you say that, Thomas, I, I can't remember where I was like reading this in or like where I learned this from. But CNN was like the first one to do like the whole like breaking news and the constant updating on the news. And a lot of it like links back to when 9-11 happened. That was like when news started to become more constant. And, you know, people wanted around the clock updates and that kind of thing. And CNN realized like that their viewership went up like so much during that. You'll see that like the break, just the idea of like putting up breaking news, like how it like draws people in. Yeah. It's the kind of the psychology of what grabs our attention, right? It's always negative yeah. stuff for the most part, right? Which is probably one of the reasons a lot of the people who consume the most digital content have issues with loneliness or yeah. depression or, you know, like a lot of these things. It's just that their environment is such a way they've allowed themselves so much access to this that, you know, it's really affecting the way they see the world. Yeah. And, and that kind of goes back to like with what one of the things that Michael was saying, where the problem is that a lot of corporations and large entities and, you know, political parties drive this. Right. And so he mentions like how there's been like this increased desire to essentially make things less addictive, like news or, you know, social media is to basically get people like less addicted, be able to like have more of their own voice. But, you know, obviously like that's there's so many benefits also to the technology. And so he kind of brings up that dilemma of, you know, technology is extremely interesting and engaging. So we get addicted to it, but then that, then that causes all sorts of social and mental health issues. And so what, what was your thoughts on like the idea of increased regulation in that area? Do you think it's too far gone at this point? Yeah, I don't think it's possible. That was my thought. Like, I don't think there's any way you can really regulate what all is being fed, fed to you, you know? It is possible, uh, depending on where you live. That's fair. Yeah, if you live in if you live in China. Yeah, it's regulated by the government. What like what would be an example of that, or like what what was something you saw? So I will say what I'm about to say with a full caveat that I do not know if this is true, but I will still share it. So TikTok is an example. I have listened to credible news outlets that have done some research on TikTok in the U.S., for example. You create an account and this was it was like the New York Times. They created an account in the U.S. and just like put up a fake photo and said, create an account of like a 14 year old girl. And within like an hour, some of the auto recommend was like suicide ideation, hmm. self-harm and body image videos. Mm. And I'll try to find that podcast. So maybe I didn't just hear this. Maybe it was actually like actual research and reporting. But from what I have heard in China, 
the TikTok next plays are educational or math or like, mm. Oh yeah. Um, and it's that sounds like a like, good use of it. <laughs> right. And I, from also from what I understand, there is some level of regulation of phone use. Like huh. they can actually control. I, I don't know about like how they control the certain apps and stuff, but I do know cause I had friends who lived and live in China, like during the pandemic, everyone had to have like, everyone had a cell phone, but you had yeah. to have a phone. And every time you'd leave your apartment, you'd have to show the security guards to the apartment complex, your phone. And you'd either have a red, yellow or green light, like a stoplight. Hmm. That would be your pass. If you could leave the area, like if it was green, you weren't known to have be, you know, surrounded by anyone that potentially had COVID yellow, you may have been exposed red, like, and so like, you literally like had to have the phone and you had to get this light on this app that was fed, you know, like, so there are ways to control it, but there are trade-offs too, if you want to live in that society of control. Right. So I, I feel, I mean, man, the United States, the fact that we have kept the, the internet, well, most of the world really. But the fact that we've kept the internet as free as it is without as much regulation as it is, despite how much money gets exchanged through it, is pretty amazing, you know? That's true. And I mean, like, I don't think Facebook or Instagram or any of these things would have even taken off if it was relevant, like, if it was regulated from day one to be less of what it is, right? So it's kind of like, do you want technology to continue to to expand and and people to be creative with it and create new ways of engaging with it? Or do you yeah. want it to basically stop where it's at now and regress in terms of like how much people want to interface with it? And there's a lot of things that I feel like at this point, they've got it down to such a science where they take that scarcity loop and they just squeeze it and get as much, you know, attention out of you as possible, no matter the consequences that maybe there are some net positive to certain regulations about how algorithms are written or how much, you know, one phone is allowed to view an app per day. (laughs) If it's like a kid's just looking at it for 16 hours a day. I mean, nobody can argue that that's a good thing, but I mean, it's a slippery slope because you want to stay free too. Yeah. Yeah, I think currently in how the current state of the United States, I don't see that kind of regulation in terms of like a hard stop based on like hours viewed. And a lot of it, we're getting kind of deeper too, like in the sense of like not necessarily what the book discussed, but in that regard, you know, being married to a pediatrician, she has patients who watch that much YouTube. Like you say 16 hours and it's like, like, I think what she would do, she'll ask the teenagers, like, how many hours of screen time do you watch a day? And they'll, like, think about it. And she'll say, over or under 10 hours. Like, that's her starting point to, like, get them to think <laughs> about it. Yeah, no, I'm, it's, I'm not that's kidding. So, so it's a lot of that has to do with, like, where are the parents? Where are the parents? Yeah. Of like, we, and again, they're on I'm their phone too. More, I mean, a little bit more philosophical, but we look to the government to solve problems for us that a lot of things need to be done in the home. And so uh, that doesn't necessarily address like what we're talking about here of like, should regulation help? There are things right. Like Fortnite got or Epic games who owns Fortnite got fined and the hundreds of million dollars for selling children's data, you know, to Hmm. whoever for ads and Hasbro. Hasbro. 
Disney. <laughs> we need to make them a store to nerf. What did you say, bro? Has been. Has been. <laughs> oh. Oh. Dang. oh. Dang. Starting Which brings the, us starting to our next sponsor. We partner with Hasbro. I like them. I like them. Hey, you can cut that part out then if we're going to mess up your partnership. <laughs> <laughs> no, I doubt they will be listening in. Do you hear Gary's friend Rob talking crap on Hasbro, calling us Hasbin? I'm not going to stand for this. The deal's off. Find him. <laughs> Let's cancel this Rob guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I mean, the state of Idaho tried to pass a law banning TikTok, and it just got struck down. The Supreme Court, the Idaho Supreme Court's like, nah. Yeah. So I think there are. Yeah, I think there are. I don't know. I think there will be like certain things that progress. Facebook has been slapped so many times, their hand slapped with mine so many times for doing things that are pushing the boundary of ethical and legal. But yeah, it still is the internet is still like kind of like the wild, wild west. And because of that, it is not good for the scarcity brain, right? Yeah. Uh, And the younger you are, like he talked about that in the book, and my wife can attest. When you're younger, there's so much happening to your brain and your development in those teenage years. Yeah. It's kind of like giving kids cigarettes and being like, here, this will be good. This will be fine for you. It's just like, man, they don't even know any better. They don't know what they're getting into. I mean, it's it's interesting, too. Like I was like at work today. One of our trainers was talking about how she has a seven year old and like all the kids at that age, they get like a personal computer. And, you know, Garrett, obviously you kind of brought that up a minute ago. Like there's so much stuff out there talking about kids and screen time. And yet you're like the public school is giving them a computer. Yeah. Like, all right. Like, I understand that like future is getting more technological. I don't want to sound like a dinosaur, but like there are harms to that. There are harms like the disconnectedness that you'll see um, just with like amount of time spent on a screen engaging in that way, but not engaging in front of real people. I mean, I don't know if I'm skipping ahead, but the escape chapter five it's like we're, we're we're bored or you know it's like one yeah. of the potential I, i've even thought of my my own personal life the last four months since we've started this podcast and whether or not this is something that expands people like follow just the i i call it this is like a new um hobby for me is yeah the the book club slash podcasting. I'm learning a lot. It's like a new thing. I'm learning how to produce audio and publish things. And like, it's really fun. It's just like a new hobby. But what I've found is I'm, I'm busier in one sense. And that like when I get home, put the kids to bed, like I'm working on something else and I'm not tempted to be distracted with other things. So, you know, as I shared with some of you in the fall, like some things came to light about, just some areas of failure on like the purity front. It's been so much better a, because I've just shared that with my wife, with you guys, but then two, I have had so much more time and like spent doing purposeful things like stuff like this reading and uh, my job. It's been just such a more like, time-consuming experience doing positive things that I'm not bored or distracted or tempted to waste my time yeah. going down these wormholes of, you know, mindless scrolling. Yeah. Mm. I think you realize when you do fill up your schedule 
you realize that you have more time and capacity than you thought you have. And I recall that a lot from like college being busy and thinking I was taking on too much, but it was the times where I was the busiest, where I felt like I was able to be like also the most productive. Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Have you ever wondered why there are only drinks that stimulate you with energy and or caffeine? Do you ever need a dose of something that would just knock you out after a long day? Now introducing Zero Hour Energy Drink. This energy drink inflicts sleep and is a safe alternative to black market anesthesia. Never waste a minute awake when you need to fall asleep with Zero Hour Energy Drink. Zero Hour Energy Drink will tuck you in. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. I like that. And now back to the show. I like what the i think it's chapter five says about subtracting rather than adding all the time yeah so yeah so in, in chapter four why we crave more the author details some of the research done by a professor of engineering Leedy klotz i'm probably butchering that name uh, in his research subjects are given a variety of problems to solve and they can solve these problems by either adding or subtracting in almost all situations the subjects chose to add even when subtracting was easier or made more sense. The takeaway being from this research that people viewed adding as good or better than subtracting and subtracting being a bad thing or a negative. Eastern uses this to talk about how for much of human history, basic needs were scarce and thus the brain learned to continue to add resources because we never knew when, when the resources would dry up. Fast forward this to today where there's constant access to resource and content vying for our attention. I found this chapter to have uh, many interesting quotes on the idea of why we crave more. And I I, I really, I just wanted to kind of share some of the quotes that I I found to be interesting in this section and see what y'all, if y'all had any thoughts on them. So I kind of read each, uh, I'll read them all together here and then kind of chime in. So Abraham uh, Maslow's famous like social uh, psychologist, I believe, or social scientist of sorts. So he describes humans as being the perpetually wanting animal. Also in this chapter, we see the quote, do we overlook subtraction as a way to change things? We obsess over and do dumb stuff, and that hurts us. And the last one that really stuck out to me was, what was unexpected pleasure yesterday is what we feel entitled to today and what won't be enough tomorrow. Yeah, one other one I really liked on page 50 was, we are never satisfied, not even after the next that we get. So like we're always looking for the next thing, but once we get the next thing, it's we're not satisfied because we want the next thing. So it's like a (laughs) perpetual loop. Yeah, the hamster wheel, man. Hamster wheel of running after that next thing that we think is going to fulfill us to a certain point. Yeah. And I wanted to like clarify, too. One of the things I had said there is, you know, in, in our modern day, we have constant access to resources and such. And obviously there are situations in which people do not have, I'm not saying that everyone has the same level of access. There's a lot of people that don't have the same access to a variety of things, but the resources are at hand. And like the example that I'd even give with that is some of our cheapest food is like food that also tastes good and it's highly caloric. It's not healthy for you, but the idea of like having access to resources, I mean, it's, it's constant. You know, he mentions kind of in a previous time where you had to like hunt animals where now it's like, go to the kitchen. You have a fully stocked kitchen if you'd like. It's funny. I was reading this chapter and then I turned on the television and the first commercial was have you guys seen that Papa John's Shack Shackaroni commercial? Oh yeah. Where he literally I quoted it down. He's like, 
more, 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 more is better. And he's talking about pepperonis <laughs> on a pizza. And I'm like, I just read why we crave more. And here, That's like, so it's funny. everywhere. Like, it, it's even the next commercial. I mean, that you're I taking it out of context, back. though, dude. He's. This book doesn't hit on pepperoni. I mean, that's definitely a, an exception <laughs> to that rule. I you don't guys know, the other guys. Yeah. Um, it got to be one of Will Ferrell's most underrated movies. I, I love that that's, movie. That's the one that got me into Will Ferrell movies. Oh, my gosh. But the British guy who's the financial crook, he is speaking and he goes, the American dream is always built on excess, on more. He goes, I, he goes, I myself have 16 Lamborghinis and a Subaru Outback. <laughs> I always so that but yeah, That's we joke awesome. about it. But I, I would say, too, there's some positive things. And I don't think Easter is saying wanting more is all bad. However, I think some of the underlying tone is that it's bad. One thing I thought about. We need more because the literal human population grows year over year. Yeah. We have to figure out ways to produce more. Like he, yeah, that's fair. He, he talked about the GDP, the gross domestic product at one point that, yeah, we gauge our success by how much we're producing. I got his point. Yes. Like I, I'm, I'm not being fully critical of that. However, I don't want to view it all as totally bad. We need to figure out ways to generate more energy so more people can have more heating and cooling in hot and cold times. Whatever example you want to use, fill in the blank, but I don't think it's necessarily a wrong thing. It's when we take it to owning 16 Lamborghinis, as we've all said we'll do once we hit a million subscribers. (laughs) I'm a simple guy. Yeah, simple guy. I, that was something I wanted to call out, though, is yes, I think we are perpetually wanting. I think that goes, you know, a lot of this is founded in the evolutionary take and thinking of, of my perspective on the creation, yeah. the God creation take of subdue the earth, right? Or um, have dominion, right? Like yeah. we're supposed to take the earth, subdue it, build, create, be creative. I don't think that's necessarily a wrong thing to want more. Guys, I, I tell you, we have photos of some of our super fan customers. They have, I'm not joking, we've I've seen photos where like walls are lined of these. Like customers buy every single tumbler we release. And I'm I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing? You know what I mean? Like I, I can struggle sometimes of yeah. like I'm I am feeding people's scarcity brain. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, most jobs you can look at at that in in some regards, you know, I feel like most are going to have something like that. I feel like the, for me personally, the, the line that really stuck out in this chapter was an unexpected pleasure yesterday is what we feel entitled to today and won't be enough tomorrow. That was one that it's definitely held true for me. On the note of that quote, I recall, it might've been earlier in this book, please tell me if it was, but the idea that if someone were to get a 10% raise versus their pay was decreased 10%, the celebration for the 10% raise would be like nothing in comparison to the disappointment with the 10% decrease. Basically saying that we perceive losses so much differently than we perceive gain, where yeah. even a slight loss is viewed as such more harshly than a, than a slight gain. Yeah. Or a big gain. 
for that matter. I think you're referring to the slot machine discussion, right? Where they figured out received let's, wins. Let's people win 50 cents when they bet a dollar. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, I won 50 cents. No, yeah. you, you lost 50 cents, but it feels like a win. Yeah. And that's way better than just outright losing your full dollar. There was something though that I was looking at like this though, compared, I think it was related to asking people how they would perceive a bonus at a certain level or oh. a pay increase. And it was some sort of subjective yeah. study, but, it, but same they, were idea, t- they were talking about somebody winning the lottery and expecting 1 million versus 2 million. And if yeah. you expected 2 million and yeah. you got 1 million, you're kind of bummed instead of like thrilled about yeah. $1 million. <laughs> <That's wild. laughs> people are, people are weird that way. Yeah. Our, yeah. Uh, our expectations make a really big difference. Yeah. On page 54, they're talking about like trips, excursions, sightseeing. And they're like, what would make this schedule worse? And oh yeah, they basically said that taking out something of the itinerary would make it worse. Where my experience in Rome was, it was go 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 for like nine days straight. And I mean, we—I think I told you guys like we walked like sixty miles while we were there. It was crazy. But the one day that Marianne and I and a few others decided to not go on the next excursion was like one of our favorite days because we got to like chill walk around and and not be on a schedule we got to interact with locals and we just weren't on to the next thing and i think that that is definitely something that you know i want to see and do as much as i can but at the same time are you actually being like super intentional with the things that you are doing or is it getting back to some of the discussion that we were having in mask of masculinity where is like am i just checking a box saying that i did this rather than being super present to the things that i am doing and it just made me you know some of this discussion even getting back to chapter four even though we're talking about chapter five here but it's all related is just made me realize how much of a grip these things have on us and how we are sometimes puppets on a string and how less control we have than maybe we even realize it's scary. Yeah. Still, did you want to mention that study that the guy did with the bridge? Oh yeah. 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 So one of the, that's that's a really cool story. Studies that clots, leading clots had done. It was a situation he'd learned from his kid, right? Yeah. It was like his four-year-old where he was trying to make a bridge stable with Legos and he was having a challenge doing it. And then his kid solved the problem by taking Legos away and that wasn't his solution. And so this guy who was a professor of engineering took this problem to his engineering students and he said like all of them were adding Legos, even though it was much easier to, to take away and I think, honestly, what, are, what that reminded me of, and I, I feel like I hit on this one other time before, Rob, a couple of weeks ago, you brought up the idea of we always feel the need to like interject our opinion. And that's honestly what that study reminded me of more than anything. And so basically that reminded me of that because I was like, well, maybe it's not necessarily that they want to, they believe more is better, but that they believe that. For them to add value, they have to add. They have to add value. Mm. They can't just change or adjust things, but they have to add value. And maybe that's kind of how I sometimes can be why I 
Because similarly, I feel like I interject a lot in situations, conversations where I may not need to. And I think it's the idea of, yeah, I want to add value. And I think sometimes just listening, you know, listening to someone actively and then being really reflective. And I think like Matt, you know, Matt, who's out this week, I always feel like Matt is phenomenal at that. Phenomenal, you know. I I think I knew that about that. Less is more. Like when someone doesn't speak that much, yeah. Then when they do, everybody's super inclined to listen. Yeah, and so I mean, I think with with Matt, I've I think I knew that about him, but I've seeing him doing that now. I'm like, everything he says is wise, and it really is. But I also think it's because he's listening a lot and he's actually, when he's saying something, it means something, you know? Yeah. I found it really interesting to think about the example he used with government as it pertains to the fact that a government never subtracts anything to solve problems. They always add another program or another initiative or another tax or Something like that. It's it's all it's almost always let's make this thing bigger to solve the problem instead of let's take some things away, which, you know, I always wondered, like, why as human beings, can't we just simplify everything? And it's just kind of in our nature to, to yeah. not do that. Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. How do you feel about your family's financial situation? Wondering who to trust with your savings? <laughs> it's hard to invest in anything in today's economic environment. Real estate, sky high. Stocks and crypto, unpredictable. The dollar, inflation is killing it. Forget about these lame investment options and invest in fruit. We at Fruit Financial know the value of a perfectly ripe piece of fruit. Our formula is simple. Buy a green banana for a dollar and sell it for 50% more a week later. You know, yellow and perfectly speckled. Or as we like to call it, the sweet spot. Just listen to what one satisfied customer had to say. I'm Carrie Sprinkler, and I've been eating bananas for years, and I had no idea the value they held. I used to fo- I used to just follow the advice of famous investors like Warren Buffett or Bernie Madoff. Well, I forgot all about that S&P 500 after seeing these yields from these fruit financials. They're bananas. This is not financial advice. Fruit Financial will not be held liable for any losses associated with your investment in bananas as we don't exist yet. (laughs) And now back to the show. For the last chapter this week, we return to Baghdad in the author's pursuit of learning more about the drug Captagon. After a variety of methods, Michael is able to get a meeting with the head of psychiatry of all Iraq to discuss this drug. Captagon was a drug developed in the 1960s, which was initially developed as an alternative to amphetamines to treat children with ADHD and adults with depression. It was eventually taken off the market because individuals were abusing it and its addictive nature. The author learns from this meeting and others with military officials that the problem that this drug has caused between the legal drug trade of it and soldiers and civilians who become addicted. He is told drugs are an easy way to escape feel empowered, cope with life, and survive. And that is why people are becoming addicted to it. For the remainder of this chapter, the conversation focuses on addiction. What is addiction? Why do we get addicted to things that are harmful to us? And what causes people to become addicted? Michael even shares a little bit about his own experience with uh, alcoholism. He also shares about the brain disease model of drug abuse, that individuals who get addicted to drugs do so and stay addicted because they have a diseased brain. 
is the quote that he uses. In this model, he states, drug addicts are helpless victims. On the other hand of the spectrum is the idea of personal responsibility and making behavioral changes. He lands that the reality is somewhere probably in the middle, which I think makes sense. And he concludes the chapter by highlighting how the COVID pandemic has caused serious behavior changes and has led to an increase in addiction to a variety of things in our culture, food, social media, alcohol, etc. So I thought this chapter was extremely dense, especially compared to the other ones, had a lot of really good content. Is there anything that you guys feel like I missed in the summary there that you wanted to add? Just, I thought it was just, I mean, he always goes back to kind of the evolutionary traits that we pick up from our development over the thousands and hundreds of thousands of years. And I just, you know, I find that so interesting. And the fact that he mentions that addiction is sort of in our nature is fascinating, you know, because addiction has such a negative stigma, but there are a lot of things that we're addicted to that actually really help us. And especially survival wise, I mean, this whole scarcity loop's created for survival. And it's just now, like we keep saying, that we've gotten ourselves into a situation where everything's so easily attainable that never was that addiction has become such an easy thing to sort of be common for our whole population. Yeah. But the I don't know. I mean, what do you guys think about the fact that, yeah, a lot of aspects of addiction are, are just almost kind of natural for us to identify with like it's it's almost a wonder more people aren't addicted after reading a chapter like this right yeah personally i would say i've like dealt with some addiction to things and i think after going through that working through some of those things i really feel as though most people are likely addicted to something you know he talks a lot of this chapter about the psychological like textbook on the dsm when you guys correct no, me DSM. Yeah, yeah dsm five right dsm five yeah Yeah, there's like no actual definition of addiction, right? Yeah. And like one of the things I've heard about addiction before is like some of the definitions are it's something that you're doing that you don't want to do. It's something that you're doing that hurts others. It's something that you're doing despite you knowing that it's hurting yourself. And it's also something you're doing that you don't see yourself helping yourself in the long run. And I mean, when you look at some of the ways that people, you know, if we're using that definition, that's the definition I've come across. I think most people have addiction problems to something where they're doing something they don't want to do. They're involved in something they don't want to be involved in. It could be like a relationship. I mean, some people are in relationships that they know are toxic for them or eating, whether we call it an addiction or not. Yeah, good call. I guess, you know, when you think about that, I guess there are a lot more people addicted than you probably assume. I I enjoyed the tail end of the the conversation or the tail end of the chapter, just talking about Yeah, he's talking about the middle ground of it's not necessarily a bad person and it's not necessarily a hijacked brain, but just about how drug addicts would make rational economic decisions. So it's like, do you want crack or do you want the money? And this study revealed that the majority of people would choose the money. Um, And just looking back, they would stay off crack to get the money, right? Well, if they, they didn't yeah, have to, that was like, I think the, I think the experiment was, Hey, if you stay off crack for X amount of time, we'll give you this amount of money. And they were able to do it because they chose to take the money. Right. Wasn't that kind of the yeah, premise of the right. experiment? Yeah. I mean, I think there were a couple of experiments that he was referencing, but I thought one of them was just outright money versus crack. Mm. Is how and, I and then the, it. it was kind of the same as like the, the Vietnam the glow operation 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that was interesting. But on page 83, they're talking about that addicts are more into the high before the actual high rather than the Mm -hmm. high itself. So, like, just the thought of getting crack is a high itself, and they enjoy that more than the high that they get from the crack. It's just the unpredictability. And then he's talking about especially like the street drugs versus the controlled substances where you don't know how, how much you're going to get. You don't know where it's going to you're going to get it from. The potency is going to be a lot different than from your traditional pharmacist. And just that's what kind of keeps addicts going is the unpredictability nature behind it. But we've all experienced major life changes that have probably allowed us to overcome some of our addictions as well. And I thought that that was super cool. Just coming back around that like once we have purpose and meaning and good structure in our lives that we're able to overcome a lot of things because we're not necessarily bored or we're not necessarily wanting as much because we already look in front of our own eyes and we have so much going on that Mm -hmm. that's our focus. For sure, man. That reminds me of the study he mentioned with the mice that were born as lab rats and they were bred in sort of this unnatural lonely situation where they never really got to live the typical life that a rat would live and those rats were highly prone to addiction while the rats that were put into habitats with other rats with other types of environments that they were used to holes to jump into and mulch and you know natural things they were much less willing to choose to go to that addictive thing anymore after their life was full of that stuff that, you know, they were almost conditioned by evolution to enjoy. And our modern world is, I just wonder how much of our modern modern world is, is sort of like those rats that were bred into unnatural situations, you know, for us. Thomas, as you're saying that this might sound pessimistic, but that's exactly my thought. As I was reading that, my thought was we don't have a chance because all of us are in that artificial situation where we're not enjoying nature the way that nature is meant to be. And I would say like, since being like a working individual, you know, I've been in the career field for seven years now. I have felt if it's been a long time where I haven't like escaped out to go camping for a weekend or spend a day doing like a really long hike, I have found, I don't feel like totally myself. And a lot of those times when I've done that, it kind of resets me a little bit. And I, you know, Ruth has noticed that and she's always been really key for that. Maybe it's just me. Maybe, maybe we're not all like that, but it does feel like there's probably a lot of people who have lived a, such an unnatural life that it makes it really hard to get out of situations. And like, yeah, there's, you definitely have sympathy for those situations or those individuals who, really challenged to get out of a tough situation or addictive situation because their idea of normalcy is so off. Reminds me of like a black mirror episode or the Truman show. It's like, if you're a lab rat that's born in a cage alone, how do you know that's not a normal life you're living? Right. And it's like, not until you go to a normal environment where you're like, Oh, this is kind of feels right. This is how I'm supposed to live, I guess. Yeah. Didn't you say, Stalin, like if you, you know, haven't been out camping or something in a while, just been grinding at work, like as long as you put on kind of a flannel shirt and grow your beard out a little bit, you feel a little better already. Honestly, it's the lumberjack vibe. 
It's the mustache that'll do it, not not the full beard. I could see that, man. When I was reading this throughout, I thought of a very short and sweet line from one of Lecrae's songs, mm. who I have been following almost since day one of his career. He says, rich man need a vacation, hop a plane. Poor man need a vacation, Mary Jane. And oh, snap. he was just saying throughout the song, probably more pointing to the environmental role. And yeah. societally, ethically, we view going on a vacation as not a morally wrong thing. Yeah. But smoking an illegal drug is. But they're kind of seeking the same thing and escape. So if I'm having a rough time, I have the means to take my family on a vacation and, and unwind from the stressful situation. Someone who's not in that same position as me, they can't afford a joint or whatever. And let me just get high for the evening. That's yeah. my escape. So I did appreciate how he did not excuse addictive behavior. Like at some point, I was curious if he was ever going to say, which he did. He talked about the alcoholism. But there was a point where I was thinking to myself, is he trying to normalize actually bad behavior, right? Like harmful behavior, Yeah, harmful, right? like yeah. being an alcoholic and things like yeah. that. Things that are not positive and you can write them off for whatever environmental, personal, brain disease, whatever. It's, it's not a net positive in your life or the people around you. He did not do that, so I appreciated that. Yeah. There was that concern at some point because it was a long chapter. And like you said, it was very dense. I was trying to figure out where he was going. All that to say is, yeah, it's not black and white, right? It's yeah. not like the war on drugs that didn't change <laughs> anything. You know, he, it's like, hey, you, you do drugs, you're going to jail. And that didn't stop a thing, right? And there's a lot more nuance. There's a lot more gray. There's a lot more, what are the reasons behind the behavior? Yeah. Right. What's going on underneath? What is not satisfactory? What are we wanting more of? What do we think we need more of that will fix a problem? Will it actually? And if not, what can we pursue? Like going camping, very healthy, positive thing to do. Going, you know, binge, you know, binge watching or doom, doom scrolling, not a positive thing to do. Things like that. Garrett, that was good input. I appreciate that. Do you guys feel like you had any like personal takeaways or anything that like you feel like sparked a conversation with a friend or with your spouse in these chapters this week? I think judgment's a big one about all this stuff, right? I mean, we were all raised in the dare era and the, I mean, the nineties were kind of when that whole war on drugs thing finally ended. And that was associated with which model? The personal responsibility the, model, the, right? Like the brain disease. Yeah. Like, yeah, personal responsibility versus like brain disease. So the personal responsibility just says, hey, if you're addicted, just tomorrow decide not to be. Yeah. Or else we're going to arrest you if we find out yeah. that you're doing any of this, right? And that obviously creates this crazy judgment and stigma. And these people that do have issues, the shame and the fear and, and the anxiety makes everything worse, right? Yeah. And then and then the consequences add into that unpredictability, which initiates a higher dopamine response when you go through the scarcity loop. So it's almost like you're making it more exciting for people to try to go get high, which makes it harder for them to stop when you make everything so high stakes. 
I just thought of, I, I, mean, I just thought about, you know, like how my, as I've gotten older, how my level of judgment towards those sort of behaviors, those sort of like activities has changed to be a lot more inclusive of like different points of view and perspectives versus when you're a kid, you're just told this is black, this is white, this is good, this is bad. There's no in between, right? Yeah. For society at large, obviously, as, as a kid, you want to be protected and you want to make the right decisions. But for society at large, like that sort of attitude seems to be, I mean, he talked about the war on drugs, it seems to be a pretty damaging way to view everything. I think I've just become more aware of the whole dopamine rush and how that translates into not only addicts' lives and just our lives in general, even getting back to like the ESPN bets conversation before we kind of got going, where it's like not knowing if I'm going to hit this bet or if you're addicted to porn, like not knowing what the next video is going to bring, right? Being aware of how do I try and control myself so that I don't fall into the trap of the high before the actual high, because I think that's what a lot of the dopamine conversation and a lot of this addiction conversation has been about is it's the loop and is really right before the act. That's what keeps people going. And so like, how can we be more aware, make sure that we don't have any uh, blinders causing us to, you know, really see the truth behind that and, I'm hopeful that we're going to get into that part. I mean, we're yeah. you know, 30% of the way through the book. So I'm expecting to get into hopefully some of like the, okay, now this is what we do. Like, this is how we combat this. Brad, what would you say for you right now is what you do to combat that? Well, he touches on it towards the end of the chapter, but I think just focusing our time and maybe Garrett, what you were kind of talking about with being productive with things that actually matter. You know, right now my schedule is kind of interesting because Marianne's in a show. And so I'm able and, and essentially living almost like I was when I was a bachelor back where like I come home, I eat, I work out. And then like, I kind of have the night to myself to do whatever I want, whether that's read, watch sports, whatever, right? Catch up with people. And so I think that through really being intentional with my time, um, with how I want to spend it, and rather than, you know, falling into laziness or sloth, that's one way. I just think it's through like being aware and then one, like setting rules with yourself, right? So it's like, okay, I'm just going to do the free bets. And like, I'm actually going to cash out and I'm not going to do it. Um, and actually like doing that or setting, setting up things in the future, like plans with your spouse or plans with friends so that you start to really occupy your time with intentional time rather than just kind of being swayed by how the day wants to move you but rather like moving the day in the direction that you want it to go. Mm -hmm. Because if you, you know, like if you're super unintentional, then that's when you do fall into those one hour YouTube sessions where you get lost down a rabbit hole. Cause it's like, Oh man, I didn't really have much set aside with these four hours of my night and the four hours take a hold of you. I, I know you feel this way too, Rob, and so, but this is just something I was wanting to share. Like in addition to that, but again, I know you feel I know you feel this way. I wouldn't say this too, but 
for me, like the accountability of like the community plays such a big role. And you mentioned like with that, like the hour long YouTube, like if you're telling a friend specifically or your spouse specifically, what did you do this evening? Would you be like proud of what you said? You know, like if it included like a two hour YouTube binge, you know? And so I think that's where like community is helpful. And like specifically I wanted to bring up um, right now, Matt and I have been doing the same workout every day. And I think we're on day like eight of it. And it's funny because I love exercise. I love fitness. You know, running is my main form of exercise, but this workout that we're doing involves more strength stuff. And it's been really nice to know that Matt's also doing it. And it's been definitely a motivator where, you know, I know I'm going to get a text from him at some point every day and I'm going to feel really bad if I didn't do it. And he did, you know, and I know that if I don't do it, then it's going to, you know, it's going to affect his ability to do it. And so that's one thing that I've just, I've really, I've really tried to lean into because I know that's really been helpful for me. Yeah. That's awesome. For sure. Have you guys ever heard the term like an addictive personality? Oh yeah. Yes. For sure. Have you guys ever felt like, oh, I, I have that. Like I am yeah. one of those Dan or I'm not like one 20, of those. Like, all of us are. 20 seasons. You think so? Yeah. I think all of us are. I think all of us like who do this call are. I know Adam and I talk about this yeah. a lot. So do you think it's a myth though? Do you think people just use that term? Mm, okay. Kind of like you. people use the term like OCD, like, oh, I'm so OCD about this or whatever. And it's just like a very loose term that everybody seems to have in common that it's just like a human thing that we all have, but we all, you know, pretend it's not. Yeah. Are you kind of saying it like uh Stalin, your mom comment about. Yeah. No offense. Yeah. It's, it's almost like a humble brag. If it's like a good thing, like, oh man, I got addicted personally. Like I'm so addicted to fitness. Like it's like a humble brag. Yeah. Like you can use it in any way. It's, it's a good excuse too. If you do something you didn't yeah. really want to do yeah. like, oh, well, it's just a, you know, my dad has an addictive personality <laughs> too. So I, I obviously, you know, can't yeah. control myself. You're saying it's yeah. kind of like me. a cop out. I, I don't know. I've heard that thrown around. It's kind of like a cop out of personal responsibility where it's like, my personality is being hijacked rather than me taking uh, like responsibility for my personality. Is that what maybe you're kind of saying? Well, yeah, but, and what's funny is that's the big debate in science is like, which one is it? Is it your brain's diseased and you can't help it? Or is it, you just need to take more personal responsibility or is it both, mm-hmm. you know, or do, do certain people need to just accept they're a certain way or, or the other way. And it's just like, it depends on who you are. It's too big of a problem to really solve, like on a high level. Yeah. Pretty interesting to talk about. And I think destigmatizing it's the main thing. Like, yeah. you know, like Stalin said, talking to other people doesn't just keep you accountable, but it kind of destigmatizes it because you're like, hey, you want to do this with me? You want to try to not use our phones for 16 hours a day or something? I've been eating six donuts a day. Can you help by not eating six donuts a day with me? <laughs> Oh yeah, they talked about obesity too. That's that's an easy one to use an as, as an example. I downloaded this app on my phone, which is an Android. Yes, I have an Android, and I don't care what you think <laughs> or say. But it's a it's called Minimalist Phone, mm. and I actually paid for it. It seems like a good app, but it's like a interface that goes over your phone's like default UI. And it turns it into just this black and white list of the names of your apps 
and that's all you've got. So like, there's no colors on the screen. There's no like notification badges. There's none you of have that. It? And it basically, I do. Nice. It's interesting. I've, I've used it for like almost a week now. And I definitely feel myself just being less willing to open up my phone because there's just that little bit of effort between me and the app that I want to open. Like if I want to open YouTube, I have to swipe over to the list. I have to type the word YouTube in and there's no colorful app icon designating that familiar thing that I'm addicted to. HTTP colon slash www dot. And then you have to log in every time to use it. That'd be it awesome. Like the dial-up. <laughs> but I was I was just mentioning that because I think kind of like the whole idea of the app is I forget there's I think there's a name for this and I think it's in Atomic Habits. But it's like that tiny bit of space you create between you and the thing that you're trying to do less or trying to be less addicted to that allows you time to think. Hmm. And make a decision rather than just be on autopilot all the time. Mm. And I think it's that space that you have to focus on. It's that spot that Rob was talking about where the dopamine kicks in and the idea of a potential reward that you can't really predict, like the unpredictable reward. Like if you can put a little bit of space between yourself and that moment when you start spinning on whatever it is you're going to get excited to go do, that's everything. Right. If you can just add a little bit of space between you and the thing or take yourself out of the environment that the thing lives in. Yeah. But we'll see how it goes. We'll see if how long I can I can use this app for before. You have to keep us posted. I'd be curious. You have to keep us posted for sure. I thought about back whenever I really affected a lot of the like when I decreased a lot of like the access on my phone, I thought about getting like essentially just like a dumb phone. You know, there's all these yeah. companies out there that like advertise like these phones that like literally it's like text call and like a GPS. And I, I thought about it and like sometimes I'm like, man, that, that would really be nice. My grandma had one of those. Really? It's called a jitterbug and it has a really loud ringer on it. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Books Brothers podcast. Join us next week as we discuss chapters six through eight in Scarcity Brain. If you haven't yet, go out and get the book so you can better follow along with us. Through this podcast, all of us guys have personal stories of how we have either connected or reconnected with you, the listeners, on a much deeper level. This is why we push record and what our hope is with our discussions to develop stronger relationships that enable us to become better and healthier person. With that being said, if you have enjoyed listening or benefited from conversations, please subscribe, give us a review and share with a friend that you want to connect deeper with. Finally, we'd love to hear your thoughts. You can reach us by email at connect at booksbrotherspodcast.com. Until next week, read, reflect, and connect.